Verbally Effective with Ina Esco is an interview-style podcast that intersects art, culture, politics, and entertainment with a Memphis focus with producer Sana Marie. Each week, I'm joined by a featured guest with roots in Memphis. Verbally Effective delves into each guest's personal journey to uncover the incredible stories fueling their purpose, the highs and lows of their pursuits, and how through their passion, they are moving the culture forward. Be sure to follow Verbally Effective and Ina Esco on Instagram. Also, download the Verbally Effective podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Don't forget to check out the website and submit to be a guest at verballyeffective.com. Breaking news out of over thousands of applicants, the Verbally Effective podcast has been selected to showcase at the 2020 South by Southwest Festival in Austin, Texas. Ina Esco will be interviewing Taylor to the Stars and Memphis native Rich Fresh on the big stage. Peace and blessings, everybody. It is Brother John, your brother from another mother, a.k.a. John Best. I am the general manager of 88.5 and C19 slash on-air personality for 88.5, 3 p.m. and 7 p.m., Monday through Friday. Slash, I'm everybody's brother, meaning that anytime you come talking to me, you just gonna talk to me like I'm your brother. I love what I do. I do it for the children, do it for the community. I want everybody to do better, and I'm hanging with Ina Esco on a verbally effective podcast. Hey, it's your girl Candice Rice, aka Pimp Fry Rice from MTV's Floor Bama Shore, and I am on Verbally Effective with Ina Esco. I'm Jasmine Worlds, and I'm verbally effective because I'm all about empowering other voices and making sure people feel heard and loved. And I also got something to say, too. So I'm verbally effective because I'm verbally effective. Okay. Jasmine Worlds is a Memphis, Tennessee native with a burning desire to see reform and policy in electoral politics that reflects the needs of marginalized and underserved people. She has pushed for fluid communication between grassroots communities and local government and has been named a rising star by the American Society of Public Administration. She is on a continued mission to use her skill to bring the voices that matter most in democracy to the decision-making table. Jasmine has served as training coordinator with the Progressive Change Campaign Committee, working to build progressive political power at the local, state, and federal levels. In this role, she helped to successfully train over 1,000 progressive candidates across more than 10 states. She's been an integral part of building grassroots and national partnerships to ultimately equip progressive candidates with the A to Z's of running for office. Jasmine currently serves as the strategic planning advisor to the chief of staff of Shelby County Schools in Memphis. She lives with her husband and their dog Tutu, and in her free time, she enjoys hoarding houseplants and traveling. Verbally effective, your double E, Ina Esco here, episode 109. Yes, thank you guys so much for listening to the Verbally Effective Podcast. Today, I have a gorgeous young lady with me. Yes, she is the strategic planning advisor to the chief of staff of Shelby County Schools, Jasmine World. Hey, Ina. Hey, lady, I said that name right, (laughs) World. You did good. You did good that time. (laughs) How you doing today? I'm doing all right. Um, I have on a, for those of you listening at home, I have on a blazer and a turtleneck at the same time. It's nearly 50 degrees outside, so I'm a little toasty, but uh, I'm doing okay. A little toasty. I am wonderful. I am glad you are here with me. My producer, Sanai, told me so much about you. And she's dope. She's super (laughs) dope, dope, right? I started following you on social media I actually had your husband here at the top of 2019 mm-hmm. giving us a whole planning your year mm-hmm. out you know he'll discussion give you. He'll, give, he'll give you all of it he'll give you all of it yes you know. and now I have wifey with me but what I do remember from his pod you guys were about to go get married yeah. in Greece in Greece yeah we got married in Greece we got oh married my. in Santorini Greece in oh August my. Yeah. oh my Rick so, Ross you know what laid I'm saying? it out for y'all you know what I'm saying and it was a beautiful amazing I saw the pictures we were, we were 
a little bit nervous about it beforehand because we were like, our family ain't going to come to this. But we ended up having 27 people. Wow. And it was a time. It was a great time. How great long time. were you all there? We were there for a week. So mm. we started off in Santorini. Uh, we got married there. And then we went to Mykonos mm. and then Athens. And our family came with us each step of the way. Wow. One thing we were intentional about telling them, though, we were like, look, now, after this wedding day, if we pass <laughs> you in the street, we don't know you. We on honeymoon. Oh, y'all on honeymoon, <laughs> Luke. We gonna do the whole thing while we here. Yeah, but it was cool because, you know, if we wanted to hang out with our friends, if we wanted to, like, go to the beach and kick it, we could just call everybody up and say, where y'all at? We gonna mm -hmm. pull up. But if we mm -hmm. wanted to have some secluded time, you know, be intimate and romantic, we could mm -hmm. do that, too. So, I, I highly suggest Destination Weddings, and if you yeah. You know, yes. if you find yourself in Santorini, just go and go get married while you're there. Yes. <laughs> I mean, those pictures were gorgeous. Thank you. Thank yes. You. Well, that once again, welcome to the Verbally Effective Podcast. As I told you, this podcast is about you, Jasmine. Thank you for having so me. So we kicking it off with where are you originally from? So that's an interesting question because, oh. um, you know, I don't know if most people have like that one neighborhood that they can say. My mama brought me home to St. Paul Street and Claver Homes, right? So I'm okay. a South Memphis baby. South Memphis. Okay. okay. Um, and I grew up, I think the first house that I lived in was on Sardis in South Memphis. But those okay. were really, really early years. Okay. But we lived everywhere from New Chicago to Whitehaven. That's where my grandma stayed. So we were mm -hmm. over there a whole lot. Um, we stayed in Frazier. We stayed in Mitchell Heights. So we were all Oh, yeah. I was city, all right? over Memphis. So I can't say I'm, um, you know, just spent the majority of my time in one specific neighborhood, but mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm always ripping Funky Town. Like, I'm from Funky South Town. <laughs> I'm okay, from South. <laughs> Funky Town. Look, play a fly. You got some fly in you. <laughs> okay, so what school did you go to? Which time? Um, so Let I graduated. Let's go on in middle school and okay, then high yeah, school. I'm like, which time? So middle school um, started off at the Memphis Academy of Health Science, which is a charter. Okay. Was a charter school. It is still a charter school. Um, and then this was back when East High School had seventh grade mm -hmm. um so i started east high school in the seventh grade and i went to east high school all the way up until the 12th grade and graduated from east so oh, i spent a okay. while at east high school wow that's my baby i love east high school so what were you involved in at east i was a cheerleader it's okay um, cheerleader. i tried to you know practice major moves at home in the mirror and that didn't work out too well so i figured mm -hmm. i wouldn't go down that path but um <laughs> cheerleading was cool because i was small and i can you know be one of those folks, a flyer to get thrown in mm -hmm. the air and all of that. Um, I was a cheerleader. I was involved in student government. Mm -hmm. um, in the yearbook, you will see that they have a picture of me with the Clue team. I was okay. not a part of Clue. You were? Um, mm -mm, <laughs> Did no. they mislabel you? No, I just jumped in the picture. That, you know, I just, I like to bend the rules a little bit. Okay. Um, but... <clears throat> I was involved in those things. There, there was one other club that I was involved in, but I wasn't in it for very long. And, and that shows because it doesn't really come to mind. Okay. Um, but, yeah, for the most part, I was student government. I cheered. And then I, I did some, you know, some other, you know, miscellaneous clubs where I could fit my fit in, get in where I fit in. Okay. Are, mm -hmm. you, are you an only child or do you have some siblings? I am not. So I actually am the middle child and I have Ooh. three other siblings. And so... When I say that, people are like, if it's four of y'all, how do you fall in the middle, right? Mm -hmm. um, I have <laughs> an older brother. I have one brother. He's my oldest, the oldest of us. I have a older sister, and I have a younger sister. Mm -hmm. And so, to me, that's that's I'm in the middle. But um, I'm kind of like the oldest of my siblings. Really? What I mean, I'm talking about all the way back to when we were in school. I'm the one that's waking everybody up. Mm -hmm. I'm the one that's making sure everybody getting dressed for school. I made dinner some nights, you know. Okay. And I think that even as an adult, my siblings look to me as like, you know. Yeah. That, that older sister. You yeah, know? that can happen, though. Yeah, I try to throw it back to them. I'm like, no, you got it. Uh, I'm going to come to you sometimes. You the, you the oldest sibling. But mm. I appreciate them giving me such high regard. Um, So, yeah, I have... Three siblings. My younger sister, she goes to Tennessee State. And okay. my older two uh, siblings, they live here in Memphis. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's a nice size family. Yeah. You yeah. know, four four kids in the house. How did mom and dad navigate with you all? Yeah. So my mom, my mom is actually a single parent. Okay. So it was all of us and her. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, 
a lot of our houses only had one bathroom. So I got, I feel <laughs> when you. When I think about all my siblings, I think about that one bathroom. Yeah. Okay. But um, <laughs> for the most part, I shared rooms with my sisters, and like we, it made us really close because mm-hmm. our space was really close. Yeah. And so we had each other's back all the time. Mm-hmm. We were a crew. At one time, mm-hmm. me and both of my oldest siblings went to East High School together. So they oh, knew the y'all was cutting up. When we ran around. Mm-hmm. Um, and so <laughs> I think now it, it pays off that we were in the close confines because we can talk to each other about everything. My siblings mm-hmm. are some of the best friends that I have, to be mm-hmm. honest. And my mom, even though she was a single mom, she did a great job at making sure that when she was home mm-hmm. from work, uh, that we had that family time. And she did discipline. I mean, what, yeah. what parent doesn't? But at the same time, too, she made sure that we had each other's back and that we yeah. respected each other. When we would get into fights, she would make us hold hands and hug. You know, you know, well, you she know would make sure y'all apologize and get it back when on track. Man, <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, it, growing up, it was it was close knit. We uh we really had strong bonds, and we still do to this day. That is wonderful. Now, mm-hmm. when you graduated from East, what did Jasmine want to do? What did you do? Yeah, so when I graduated from East, I went to college. Okay. Um, I went to Lipscomb University in Nashville. Mm-hmm. It's a private Christian school, and a lot of people say, Jasmine, why did you go to Lipscomb mm-hmm. of all places? Um, at the time, my boyfriend, his sister went to Lipscomb, and she was like, I think you really like this school. You know, it's not too far from Nash uh, from Memphis, and it has a pretty cool campus. So I went up and visited, and I remember one of the things that was on the front of my mind when I was thinking about college was that I wanted to go somewhere that wasn't too far from home and I didn't want the campus to be too big where I got lost in the crowd right mm-hmm. I didn't want to be just another face uh, for my professors mm-hmm. so when I went to live uh, went to see Lipscomb it was a beautiful campus um, mm-hmm. and I felt at home I felt welcomed mm-hmm. um, now in retrospect if I had it my <laughs> way and I was really thinking right I would have been at Howard right yeah um, but you know I can't I can't say that my experience was horrible at Lipscomb mm-hmm. I just think as a you know young black you know a black young adult there are mm-hmm. options out here that may have been more tailored to my identity and making sure that I right. grew to be you know a, a brilliant successful black person which I am to this day I still, can tell you know I can tell but <laughs> say. Uh, I'm just saying you know there are there's a structure that you can put in place around yourself to really cultivate networks and friends mm-hmm. and support that look like you yeah because Lipscomb is a predominantly white institution right. and so looking back I'm like okay I could have made some some better moves but I did end up doing that. So after Lipscomb, I went to grad school at Tennessee State, which is blackity black. So you black. got your blackity <laughs> black right, I piece. I did, but I was very intentional about that. I was like, I need, yeah. to, I need to strike a balance. Like, well, at least you got it on the back end. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, okay. I got some, I got some, you know, Becky and Sue's, but I also need some Taekwons and Tanisha. Okay, you know, what I'm saying? you know, you need all of them in your circle. You need all of them, and it's funny that you mentioned Lipscomb because I remember. When I was trying to decide on what college I wanted to go to, Lipscomb was sending, they they pressed oh, in the mail would. hard. <laughs> I was like, would. let me look at this Lipscomb again. You I'm like, I don't know. They had a partnership with the post office. Right. They, they go hard. I now. remember they that. Go hard, but they have great academics. And mm-hmm. if you are someone that's in the religious space, you know, mm-hmm. it, they do have a really great, you know, reinforcement of Christian values. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, of course, there are ways that Lipscomb can improve for sure. Like, yeah. Caps lock uh, underline, <laughs> but you know they 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 had they have great resources. What did you major in? In college, I majored in psychology. Wow! So believe it or not, I wanted to be a marriage and family counselor. I wanted okay. to do therapy with married people and families and help them figure out, you know, if they were having some type of dysfunction, how to get back on track. Mm-hmm. But um, as you can see, that didn't play out that way. That didn't play out. Mm-hmm. So you graduated and you said, I'm going to TSU for grad school. Mm-hmm. At that point, did you still have that marriage counseling on your mind when you entered into TSU? So I'm going to tell you when that dropped off. When did so, it drop off? Um, I got to my senior year at Lipscomb mm-hmm. and I was like, you know, I don't know if this is mm-hmm. what I want to do. I don't know if I'm in the position to be doing this type of work um and at that point I had already gone four years at a private school Mm -hmm. that means private school tuition so I can't change my mind and go back so I'm just like I'm just gonna graduate with this degree Mm -hmm. um and after that I took a year off because I just worked I you know 
waited tables for a little while to figure out what I was going to do. But in that time frame, all of my friends were going on to nursing school and grad school, and mm-hmm. I felt real stagnant, and mm-hmm. it did not feel good because I also couldn't put my finger on what I wanted to do next, yeah. and that shook me. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was around the time that I had began talking to my husband, mm. and we were having a conversation, and he was teasing things out of me like okay what are you interested in what do you like and I'm like well I like helping people and I like doing it on a macro level and I like mm-hmm. you know what I mean seeing how systems work and kind of breaking those systems down and he was saying why don't you go for public administration and public policy and I was like huh and so I looked it up and I was like you know what this does sound like something I would do <laughs> great suggestion you know? and so Tennessee State ended up having that program okay. and you know that's kind of how I end up jumping into that program and, okay. and getting that master's degree. So that was like two years in yeah, the Yeah, it was a two-year program, yeah. So I jumped into that program in 2015, and then I came out 2017. What did you learn in that grad program at TSU? Because I know you was getting your blackety-black on Blackety in the same black. time. Blackety-black. <laughs> so I learned a whole lot of things. To be honest with you, I hated it the first semester. Why? Um, because it was like Spanish to me. Mm. I was not a poli-sci background. Mm -hmm. I had, you know, hadn't take hadn't taken any real courses in government. So bureaucracy and all of the terminology and the systems and all these types of things that was new to me. So Mm -hmm. I didn't understand what I was diving into. Mm -hmm. And that first semester of my program was very historical. So they were reaching all the way back to like founding fathers type Mm. of language, Um, like old (laughs) English. So when you marry all that together, I'm just sitting in the classroom puzzled. But um, after that first semester, in the second semester, it started to be some content that was a little bit more applicable to modern Mm -hmm. times. And I made a connection. One of, you know, when I was in college, that's when the Trayvon Martin shooting happened. And I remember feeling very uh, hopeless and not being able to understand how we as a people can provoke change. Mm -hmm. But then when I got into that second semester and they started to talk about how policy affects lives um, and how, you know, legislators are able to determine ultimately the law of the land, Mm -hmm. I made a correlation between, oh, okay, so if we put people in power to affect policy, then we can change the way that we're treated all the way down to, you know, who's able to retaliate against us and what yeah. type of services we get. And what flashed before my eyes, which was Trayvon, but not only him, my family and my mm-hmm. friends and the systems that I know and the poverty that, you know, so many people that I know grew up in. I was like, okay, that's it. That's, mm-hmm. that's what I need. But I think, Overall, for me, with my program, I learned how government works Mm -hmm. and how, you know, different branches from a local level all the way up to a federal level uh, coalesce to create policy and how that impacts people. And not only did I learn that, I learned ways that we can influence that. If you're not Mm -hmm. an elected official, how can you lobby or how can you uh, create nonprofits that do the work to inform the policy that ends up getting passed? So, yeah. Mm -hmm. After that, I was like, oh, okay. So you what felt do I empowered. Need to do? Yes, I felt so empowered. Yeah. I felt informed. Yeah. And I think that was the I think that was a missing link for me. I feel mm-hmm. like um, in our community or in communities in general, we see issues, but we don't see mm-hmm. solutions or pathways to solutions as often. And so mm-hmm. for me, that was the okay, so this is how this works and this is how I plug into it. So let's mm-hmm. I'm, I'm about that action now. Like, let's make about something that action. About that action. Yeah. So, okay, you're informed, you're empowered, you're about that action. Mm-hmm. You leave grad school, what was on your mind? So I left grad school, and by the time I left grad school, I had a boo thing. Um, like Yay. I said, Kenneth and I met in 2014, <laughs> and um, <laughs> it was 2017 at this point. Okay. Um, so the summer of, when was it? The summer of, I think it was 2017, I had gone to D.C. to intern. Mm. Um, and Who did Ken- you intern with? So I interned with the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights. Great. And it's a organization in D.C., a band of lawyers who look at civil rights litigation across the nation. And they come in and they help to advocate on behalf of people, primarily people of color and black wow. people. Right. Um, and so at that time, I knew that I wanted to work at the intersection of uh, politics and civil rights. And so that was the mm-hmm. prime spot for me. And so, you know, at that point, Kenny had already moved to D.C., 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was like, you should come up here and you should intern <laughs> and, you know, you can stay with me. But not because I'm trying to get you to stay with me like that. But, <laughs> but because, because. But because. And also, too, he's like, the rent real high up here in D.C. I don't I think need you want to pay that all by yourself. <laughs> so I was like, okay. So I went there for the summer and I stayed with Kenny and I interned and I loved it. I feel You love D.C.? Oh, my God. I love D.C. Mm-hmm. And then so after I graduated, it was only right that I went back because, you know, D.C. is a Hollywood with a politics and so if you want to make strides in a political space then you know dc is probably on your chopping block to go to yeah and the way that i thought about it too was when i started to wrap my head around how policy worked and how systems work and how to influence and affect policy i thought about the fact that the tools and resources and knowledge that i need to get aren't as uh, fully available here in the city, right? So that was like, okay, I go to Nashville, I fill, I fill up my tool bag with everything that I can, and once it's full in Nashville, how do I level up and go to the next place? Mm-hmm. So I go to D.C., right? Mm-hmm. So that when I come back home to Memphis, at this point, we just laying tools out and we getting to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, there's still going to be some learning going on, but how do I get everything that I need? Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I'm, I moved to D.C. after I graduated from grad school and I began working for uh, a national political pack called the Progressive Change Campaign Committee. And that's when I got into the uh, candidate training space. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, and so how did that go? You're actually training candidates. When I tell people that, I feel like everybody's eyes gets big. And Were you like, like a junior Olivia Pope type? You know, people say that. I okay. feel like, yeah, I, people say that's that's the first um, cognition that people mm-hmm. get when I tell them about what I used to do at this point. But um, that was, at first, it was very intimidating. Right? Why? Because, you know... Most times when I trained, I was training in rooms of 50 to 100 people wow. who were at least uh, double my age, right? Right, there and we go. And so, you know, being a young person in that space who is given this knowledge, you oftentimes can, you know, just get reflective on, you know, am I the right person to be delivering this mm-hmm. information? Am I sure about what I'm saying? Like, what makes me credible? Mm-hmm. Um, but I had to reflect and say, you have all of the tools and knowledge that you need to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in Nashville and even in D.C., I did some work on campaigns. I did some work with local governments. I knew what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. And even when I joined the organization, I didn't start off training. I started mm-hmm. off, you know, working on the back end of things, putting together the trainings, um, you know, recruiting candidates, speaking with candidates, learning mm-hmm. about their challenges and helping them to solutions. Mm-hmm. So by the time I got to the front of the room, I was ready. Mm-hmm. But I think it took me getting to a space and being like, hey, dog, you meant for this. Like, you need to <laughs> chill and just beast mode and level up real quick. Wow. And once I did that, then training became seamless. Mm-hmm. And so um, my training style is I'm going to give you the real Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you like what you should expect, but I'm also going to do it in a way that's empowering yeah. and that shows you that, you know, if you've made the d- this decision to run for office and you've made the right decision, mm-hmm. but I also want to let you know, it's not going to be easy, right. but how do we prepare you for those challenges? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. did you feel like a proud mama bear when you would see some of your people that went through training? Oh, absolutely. Excel. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah, I talked to my candidates win. Uh-huh. I remember, I remember the first training that I went to, um, that I did, I was so nervous. I was Mm -hmm. so nervous about it. And um, number one, the best feeling in the world is, you know, being nervous and getting up there and just doing it. Mm -hmm. And then after the training, people coming up to you and saying, oh, my God, like, this is the best training I've received. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Do you have a card? I want to, like, strategize with you after this. But even so, beyond that affirmation, getting a Facebook message Mm -hmm. or an email that says, hey, I won my race. Mm-hmm. And that training that you were a part of was very instrumental in me winning and teaching me the way that, you know, I need to navigate this campaign. That's probably because my thing is, you know, the way I see myself playing into the bigger picture is if my overall goal is to make sure that policy is positively affecting people, then I am out here training candidates who will ultimately feel empowered to run for office, who may win who can then affect policy to create positive change in communities. Like mm-hmm. if I'm a part of that ecosystem, then I'm good. Yeah. And so to see people say, you know, I won my race. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's so dope. Like <laughs> I did that or I helped do it. You know what right. I mean? So. 
Wow. And yeah, I can see like, you know, how Olivia Pope was, you know, telling the president, hey, you need to do ABCD. No, we're going to do it like this. Mm-hmm. No, boom, boom, boom. It, it seems just such, you know, a fire dope role to be in. Yeah, it was. And now that I look back, because when I was in it, I was in it. You know, Obama I, was in office around the time you were in D.C., right? Obama. I was he. Well, he was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he was yeah. in office. He was in yeah. office around the time I was in D.C. Um, he was in office, actually, when uh, I went, I would go up and visit. When I lived there, he wasn't in office. Okay. Um, you know, we had, we got somebody else in by that time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we got somebody else in by that time. Yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah, I wasn't, he, he wasn't in office when I lived in D.C., but I would go up and visit Kenny all the time. And I know mm-hmm. I was like, I'm just waiting to run into Obama. When you see the Ooh, motorcade come wee. by, yeah. I'm just like, I just know he in one of these cars, and I'm excited about that. Yeah, he probably <laughs> had heard about you. I mean, maybe. Don't don't gas me up now. Hey, you know, you know. <laughs> don't gas me up. Okay, so you're training these candidates, and it's time to make your next move. What was it? So I um, I got I got into a point with the uh, organization that I worked in that I kind of kind of climbed all the way up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, hit a ceiling. Yeah, I had hit a ceiling. So in last year, I finished up ten trainings across ten states. Wow! And I trained over a thousand candidates. Wow, girl, you've been working. Man, okay. Which states? Wait, what's which states we talking? So we did uh, Florida. We did New Hampshire. We did Arizona. Mm. We did um, Philadelphia. We did uh, North Carolina. We did uh, D.C. I believe we did. It, w- it was so many. God. So it, was, so it was all. It was stretched all across the mm-hmm. nation. Um, and after that, you, you really start to think about once we wrap that program, I was like, what's next. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was right before, well, no, after we had moved back home, Kenneth and I had come back home and I'd already come to the agreement with myself that I want to do work here on the ground. Mm-hmm. So it was just perfect timing that that program was wrapping up. And I was like, well, you know, I've done what I come mm-hmm. to do. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I stopped training candidates, but I'm ready to find something in the city. In you know what Memphis. I mean? I, in Memphis. I want to impact, the, I want to make an impact here in my community. And so yes. when I think about that, when I think about, you know, ways that I can impact, I think about the roots of things. Mm-hmm. So it's no secret that we have poverty in the city. Oh. And it's, and it's, it's, you know, it's permeated through every community. Mm-hmm. You can see it everywhere. And the people that, you know, are affected by that poverty most times are our people. And yeah. so um, I wanted to think about what are the roots to this thing and how can we affect this from the bottom up to really change this system. Mm-hmm. And when I thought about it that way, it was through education. Mm-hmm. Um, if, we, if we really give people quality education and give them the tools to succeed academically, then they can, you know, have more opportunity to do more, to make more money or to go to school or mm-hmm. to get a skill, you know, to, yeah. you know, have a better job. And so that's when I started to look into our school system and opportunities that I can plug in mm-hmm. to make that machine run more effectively and do the work there. So when you did your analysis and you said, let's find the root of this thing, because a lot of us are wondering, why is Memphis still number one in poverty? <sighs> so you trickled it way back to, yeah. OK, it's education. Well, I don't, one. Think it's, I don't think that's the only root, though. Okay. I think that there are several pieces to the puzzle. Education mm-hmm. is one. Mm-hmm. Um, job access is another. And mm-hmm. what I mean by that is, number one, you got to be able to get to your job. Mm-hmm. Memphis um, needs a more... We, we our span as a city is, is huge. You know mm-hmm. what I mean. To get from downtown to Germantown, you mm-hmm. know, take you about thirty minutes. And so, think about someone who lives in a community that can't get to work mm-hmm. because they don't have a bus route that comes to them, or it doesn't run as frequently. We need a more effective transit system. Mm-hmm. But also, on top of that, job access means access to quality jobs. So, mm-hmm. after I get this job, am I going to be making enough to sustain my family, our rent, my food, my mm-hmm. gas, all these? other things and and that's not even if you have children so and then too um 
is this job that I have going to provide me with health benefits? You mm-hmm. know, health care is a huge thing that's anchoring people in poverty because if they have to go to the hospital or they have to have a procedure that's done, that's going to keep them in that hole because they don't have health Definitely. insurance to take care of it. Mm-hmm. So we, we're tackling so many, you know, issues in the city. We have um, economic issues. We have predatory lenders uh, preying on our poor people. We have the criminal justice system that doesn't really uh, advocate on behalf of people people who don't have a lot of money. We need bail reform. I mean, I can go all day. I think that for me, when I'm talking about, you know, roots, if if if, if I'm able to help a child receive a quality education, right, mm-hmm. um, when they get to a certain age, they can pursue secondary education or a skill, whatever that looks like for them. Mm-hmm. They can at least give them the leverage to rise out of what their environment is to create their own pathways. Right. For a lot of our students in this city, their trajectory is already set for them before they're born because of mm. what they're born into. Mm-hmm. And how do we change that and give them some type of tool to create a different narrative for themselves? And for me, education is one of those things. Right. Now, Jasmine, tell me about your role with SCS. Yeah. Um, so the, the the technical, like, my role has a lot of words in it, and it's very word-heavy. I like it. Strategic it's, planning advisor. It, 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 that's not it. Highly what? specialized strategic planning advisor. Oh, you had gave the, me the I short had, version. I had to shorten it up <laughs> to the chief of staff. It's cute, though. It's cute. <laughs> but basically what that means is, is that, you know, I love our chief of staff over at Shelby County School. Shout out to Patrice Thomas. Um, but what it means is I'm her left and right hand, mm-hmm. Right. Um, I'm her thought partner. I help her think through and troubleshoot issues and, and think through strategy. Um, mm-hmm. I also oversee all the projects that come out of that office. So anything mm-hmm. that she wants to have done, we make sure that it's seen through to success. Mm-hmm. And I also am sort of a relationship manager. So mm-hmm. um, uh, intermediary between her office and outside legislators and officials and, and partners that we're working with to make sure that we have solid relationships with other folks we can get things done Mm -hmm. and and so that's basically what it is it's just a long way of saying it i like it (laughs) i I like it too people are like what does that mean it sounds so good Mm, it sounds so Uh, good that's basically what it is okay so like with your role um as the highly strategic planning advisor, you <laughs> are, are you noticing or are you seeing, you know, strides being made in change with yeah. our school system here yeah. in Memphis? So, yes, I am. Um, I think that the, the, the school system has so many programs and initiatives that they're working on to tackle some of the issues that our children face inside of the classroom and outside of the classrooms, mm-hmm. doing a real uh, wraparound approach. Um, I would be remiss to say if, you know, the uh, community, I, I would be remiss if I didn't shed light on the fact that there are extraneous factors that our, that our students face that shouldn't be necessarily the uh, the responsibility of the school systems to tackle, but we mm-hmm. have to because we're taking care of our children. Um, so that kind of solves things in some spaces. Um, mm-hmm. At the same time, too, this is bureaucracy, mm-hmm. and no agency of bureaucracy moves as fast and as quick as it should, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's one of the things that I've been grappling with since I've been in this role and in this space is being someone that wants things to move fast. And mm-hmm. here's a solution. Let's make it work. You're used to a that plus fast B pace. C, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, you know, having the red tape and having to slow down around things to really form strategy and make mm-hmm. sure that we're encoding in policy can be frustrating. Mm-hmm. But when you start to see you know, uh, rewards of your work, it's all worth it. Mm -hmm. Or when you go into a classroom and you see children who are happy because, you know, the school system was able to give this this classroom new technology or new textbooks or things like that, Mm -hmm. that's rewarding. So you have Mm -hmm. to find ways to get those rewards on an incremental level until you can get the overall project accomplished um, while you're working against bureaucracy or the extraneous factors that's happening to our students. Wow. So it's a lot of red tape, ain't it? Yes. Oh, my God, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And and everything, though, you're going to find that in any governmental agency in the city, in the county, in the nation, because that's just mm-hmm. how it is. And we just, we, 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 we don't need, I don't feel like we, we need accountability and regulation, but I think that sometimes the red tape can get in the way of us getting things done. But mm-hmm. luckily we have brilliant people who work in this city and we at do. the uh, Shelby County Schools. So we find our ways around it and ways to get okay. things done in the meantime. You got still. to. But still. <laughs> but still. <laughs> okay. So you're in the Shelby County School system. I know you can't get away from them politics though, because yeah, you no. 
still out here training these yeah, folks contracted. Yeah, I'm still in these streets. You so can't leave it alone. I can't. I can't because it's it's really important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, I see so many people. And even, you know, when I trained more heavily, so many people came into these trainings and they had the passion. And mm-hmm. they, they, they knew the issues that they wanted to impact. And they were organizers, but they didn't have the tools. They mm-hmm. didn't know how to run a campaign. Or they were doing everything by themselves. And I call that an octopus candidate. I hate an octopus mm-hmm. candidate. You need a team. Candidate. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so... People are hungry for the knowledge and the resources and the skills to do it the right way. And there are so many people out here who have the money and they don't even got to know how to do it the right way because they can pay to get it done. Okay. And these folks don't have as many resources. So um, I have to stay in this space at least a toe in. Mm-hmm. And I've been able to do that through training with this national organization called the National Democratic Training Committee. I contract train with them. Mm-hmm. Um, about once a month, I go in and I train uh to toward the candidates that they bring into the room. And so it's not as frequent as I would like it to be. And I don't even get to get in front of as many candidates, at least not yet, as I have before. But even if I'm sitting across the table with one person and I'm able to say, all right, let's talk about it. Let's talk about mm-hmm. this plan and impress upon them that I've done the work. But, yeah, I have to stay in the in the training space, into the politics of it. Yes, yeah. and, you know, Memphis politics is juicy, juicy. It is juicy. juicy. Do you do some of the local I do not. politic <laughs> training? So, training-wise, <laughs> you should. I don't yet, right? So, right. I've been having conversations with you know, local organizations about, uh, you know, just kind of helping with their curriculums and, and helping to train some of the candidates coming to the room. Where I thought your question was going is, mm-hmm. am I working on any local campaigns? And I try not mm-hmm. to do that mm-hmm. um, just because working on campaigns is heavy. Like, that's mm-hmm. take, that's, that takes a lot of capacity and a lot of time. And mm-hmm. I would like to, but I just I have to be careful about, you know, where I put my effort toward because, you know, I'm a self sacrificial person i'll put mm-hmm. other things before myself so i have to be careful of that oh, but um um i'm not currently training with anyone here in the city but i am having conversations right now about how we can start to begin to make that happen yeah girl because i mean Cause they need but i'm sure. always down to have a conversation with anybody if you want to have a one-off and say hey this is what i'm thinking this is what i'm thinking about a communications plan or a field plan or a campaign plan or can you get me in touch with x y and z mm-hmm. then i'm more than happy to be a resource to anybody okay a verbally effective audience you hear miss jasmine and what she just stated now hold me to it okay <laughs> now let me ask you this what do you see as the most important reforms needed for electoral politics Ooh, that's a heavy one. So one of the most important reforms to me is uh, reforming campaign financing and how that's done. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons why I say that is, you know, a lot of middle class folks or even lower class um, people who want to run for office and don't have the funds to do so automatically get kicked out of the game because they're running against, especially if they're running against someone who... um, has a lot of resources mm-hmm. and have a lot of money. Is you that know? what happened to Kamala? I don't think that's what happened to Kamala. I think it was a little bit more complex because I think okay. she had the cash. Oh, um, I think okay. I think that, you know, her campaign could have been a little bit more strategically ran. Mm. And I also think that she just got a lot of pushback nationally because, you know, we don't do too well with embracing black women uh, on right. any scale. Any. So, you know, any scale. So I, I think that there's that's a different conversation. But I think that we need to create, you know, limits on giving. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? We need to regulate more on how much people are able able to self-fund their campaigns all the way from presidential down to local and mm-hmm. how much you know big donors are able to give to folks because people who don't have those resources also have a voice and they need a fighting chance too um another thing that i think that we just need to do in our communities is really create a culture of vetting candidates Vet and them asking folks. them about the issues and Vet asking them. them about okay what are you going to do for me and how does that impact me mm-hmm. so many times we let people slide by by last name Mm-hmm. And that's not enough, right? In Memphis um, especially. Yeah, but in so many communities, we, we see people just, you know, get in because they're, they they have name recognition. You see a lot of that yeah, across the board. Across like the board. Like D.C., that's mm-hmm. going on. Mm-hmm. Even in the presidential races. Mm-hmm. And so we need we need to equip people with the know-how to ask the questions. You know what I mean? Empower people to have a voice and say, hey, and I want to be real. Like, I, I really want to vote for you, but I need some answers on some things. Mm-hmm. And really hold our candidates to a high caliber. So if 
if I would point to anything, I would say, number one, making sure that we have an equal playing field so that if you come in with the big cash, you don't just get to create mm-hmm. how this is going to go. And at the same time, too, making sure that our communities are holding folks accountable. So regardless of what your last name is or how many yard mm-hmm. signs you got or how many <laughs> times you've been on my radio ads, that I'm still asking you questions and asking mm-hmm. you, you know, what are you going to do for me and my community? Right. Now, when you say, you know, people that have that are very heavily cash strapped, mm-hmm. right? Immediately, I'm thinking Bloomberg. He just jumped on in there, babe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody's looking at him yeah. like, OK, he's a viable candidate. I mean, not everybody. Not, <laughs> everybody, <laughs> not everybody. But I mean, you know, if you listen to the media and it all depends on what you listen yes, to for your true. information, they true. will have you swayed. They will have you swayed. So you got to be careful, number one, about the information that you take in. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that means that you don't take in any information, but you diversify your outlets. Mm-hmm. So you're getting a real neutral idea of what's really going on out here in these streets. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, Bloomberg just jumped in last week, but I heard, I've heard his ads on the radio every three seconds and that's commendable, right? Yes. That's, that's marketing but at the same time too um what that means is you know we have someone else who has a huge sack of cash who's able to jump in and you know create this buzz around themselves mm-hmm. and other folks have been putting in this work since the All beginning you know what I mean, for more than a year now mm-hmm. um and he just gets to slide on in mm-hmm. you know i think we need to hold him more accountable and i was just having a conversation with somebody close to me who said you know, we need Bloomberg to win because we need a millionaire to, to be Trump. And, you know, what? I don't. And, and that's what I mean about changing the narrative and the mindset that we have around what it takes to be a viable candidate. Right. I don't think it means you have the most money. I think mm-hmm. it means that you have the best strategy mm-hmm. to win um, and the best issues on policy. Um, but unfortunately, <laughs> Bloomberg is in the race. Bloomberg um, is in that thing. And uh, I don't I don't mean that unfortunately, because that may be some that may be some people's candidate. And I give you respect on that. But mm-hmm. what I am saying is, you know, we have to be careful about holding we have to make sure we're holding people who come in with a bag accountable because mm-hmm. how are you going to be are you going to be accountable to the people um are you really in this to create gains for people right. um and just you know make sure that you're you you really have our best interest in mind too yeah. alongside having the cash you, you make the money you got to make i want a bag too i want a bag I three bag four okay <laughs> but i just need to make sure that your intentions are in the right space and right. that you, you you're really here to do the work but when you think about it, Bloomberg it really kind of duplicated what Trump did with the bag. They did. I mean, you they know, duplicating. You know, both of them are billionaires. Yes. Um, and so that is that. When you talk about national politics, though, and when you talk about the type of reforms that need to happen to benefit um, middle and you know lower class people, we we. I'm hmm. not sure that somebody with a billion dollars can speak to my interest in the things, the experiences that I have now. No. Now, if Bloomberg is out here in these streets doing, um, you know, uh, control groups and having conversations mm-hmm. with people around the table and saying, okay, what's really mattering to you? And I'm going to own up to the fact that I am a billionaire, so I'm not informed. So please let me know about what I need to be doing. And that's a whole nother thing. And applause right. to him if that is what he's doing. But he I know that <laughs> historically, <laughs> historically what we've seen is that they're just, you know, billionaires are coming in and they're, they're, you know, creating policy and government that sadly sometimes turns out to work in the benefit of other billionaires. All um, the time. And, and so, and, and hmm. you know, that, that doesn't benefit me at all. I'm trying to think about at all. what policy is going to be put in place as I continue to grow and become an older adult and get more assets. And, you know, so I have oh more opportunity. And if that's not what you're after, then mm-hmm. I can't rock with that. So we'll see. We'll Girl. see how this goes. He just got in. <laughs> he just, got, he just in got in and he is in there. Now, I mean, in our current political climate, do you see any candidates that are on the wavelength that you're on with reform? Yeah. Um, yeah, I do think that there are candidates in the fight right now who are on the wavelength of reform. Um, I, I don't know if we calling out who our candidates are on here, but you can I, uh, if okay. you want I mean, to. So I personally right now in, in as as someone in this space I think it's important to always keep your eyes and ears open to pay close attention because even though you know I might be siding with someone right now I have to be very intentional 
and, you know, like I said, holding them accountable and making sure that their policies align and they see them all the way through. Mm-hmm. But to be honest with y'all, I, I personally think that, you know, Warren is one of the best candidates in the field. When you mm-hmm. talk about reform and you talk about advocacy for people like me mm-hmm. um, in the space that I am in um, and the types of things that will benefit me long term, I have a whole hell of a lot of a student debt, right? Mm-hmm. And Warren was one of the first candidates to come out of the gate and say, we counseling all yes, this Yes, she shit, did. Right? Everybody and was like, like, yes! Uh, okay. <laughs> um, we're talking about I'm healthcare options. We're talking yeah. about, you know, making sure that people have the resources that they need, that older generations Mm-hmm. have access to social security and protections for them after you've worked all your life you're not trying to go back to work at walgreens or something no, like that or try i want to chill out how you gonna pay your rent next month you want some security right mm-hmm. and for me warren is one of the folks who has a plan for everything which i yes, like a good does. plan i like a good policy plan mm-hmm. um she also has done intentional work to connect with the grassroots and communities across the nation she was one of the first campaigns to set up shop in a lot of these states. The first campaigns hit the ground in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she, she, she's real. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is when she gets up and she talks about why she's passionate about things, she has a personal story to connect that to. Mm-hmm. She talks about how her parents almost lost their house and how they bounced back from that mm-hmm. and why she thought it was important for her to, you know, advocate for folks on a national level because big banks were taking advantage of small people. Um, and so when I when I hear those things and I hear about her advocacy and I, and I see the ways that she's connecting to people um, on and off of the stage, I'm empowered by that, mm-hmm. and I see myself at that table. And so, you know, all respect to whoever y'all's candidates are, but I'm not going to be unapologetic about it. I'm okay. with Warren, so. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Warren, uh, she be laying a lot down on them debates. Did you see that? You, you see the, the deb- one with the Bloomberg jump Ooh, in? She out the gate, right? She, and I said, I no hoes bar. I said, it sounded like Warren got a little cough today. She mm. said, I'm sick, so I don't got time. Let's get to it. Um, yes, <laughs> right I was gate. loving it. And I appreciate that tenacity. I appreciate you saying, you know, I'm going to call it for what it is, mm-hmm. and I'm going to be real with with y'all about this situation um, and who's on the stage right here with mm-hmm. me. And that's not to say that Warren is perfect. And I don't think we should be looking for the perfect candidate at all. None of them are. None of them are. Um, but what we can do is look for someone who not only holds themselves accountable, but holds other folks accountable is, and is saying, I'm here to make policy for the people who have not been thought for first. Mm-hmm. And that is the working class Americans. So yeah. I'm, I'm down for it because that's where I belong. I'm not a billionaire. I, I can't benefit from the tax breaks for the billionaires. Me neither. But I can benefit. I'm not Bezos. You know what I'm saying? I can benefit from a policy that's saying, you know, we're going to take a strategic look at health care and student loans and social security and and the like and see how Mm -hmm. we can make sure you benefit. Yeah, I agree. Warren definitely has a plan for everything they throw at her. But girl, what's going on with Biden? He look like he is just like... Girl, just following before us. Yeah, I, you know. What is going on with Biden? He needs your help. (laughs) Uncle (laughs) Joe. Uncle Joe, you know, I, you know. You know, it's odd because when when the, the presidential uh, campaigns first jumped off and when he jumped in, I said, you know, Biden is going to be one of the front runners for me. That's because what everybody that, was saying. Yeah, and that's what I was thinking. I, I, I really believed in, you know, Number one, anybody attached to Obama is like, I know now. Automatic. Now. You know, automatic. But at the same time, too, I, I, I you know, was a fan of Biden. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it was a situation where I was just like, forget Biden. I just mm-hmm. saw another candidate who appealed to me better. Yeah. Um, I think that one of the things that I try to talk to people about um, with the presidential campaign is Trump has pushed us toward a regressive space. Mm-hmm. Um, we've... We've gone backwards in so many ways Mm -hmm. that if we get a candidate that's going to uh, adhere to the status quo, that's not going to push. That's that's just going to put us back in a space where we already were. You know, it's it's just going to be. It don't seem like we're ever going back there. We need somebody who is going to be uh, a little bit more uh, uh, forward thinking, right, to push us past where we've been pushed away from to get us in a space where we're good again. Mm Um, I personally am not sure if some of the candidates will get us to that space. I think booty gig, booty gig. I um, I, uh, <laughs> he ain't got no plan, girl. I, I mean, you know, I I, mean, I don't know. I think I think Buttigieg has done a done an impressive job so far. You know, with 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 the states that have already calculated, you know, their 
I'm surprised he's lasted this long. And that's my thing, too. I, mm-hmm. I have been surprised. But from what I've heard, Buttigieg runs a, a, a pretty robust campaign. Mm. And, and I think that's showing a bit. But I also think that, you know, let's be let's be for real here. Um, there are candidates on the stage not saying that you have to be as credible as anyone else, but I'm looking for someone who's unseated uh, a Republican on a national level okay. already. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I'm looking for someone who's run a national campaign. I'm looking for someone who's um, created national policy mm-hmm. um, because that's just what, in my head, I see as a caliber for a presidential candidate for someone who I want to be president. Mm-hmm. And I think Buttigieg has been doing great for himself so far. I mean, I think he could do better connecting with communities of color. Um, but right. I don't know uh, if in my head what I perceive a presidential candidate to be and ultimately a president to be. I don't know if he matches up to it. I'll just be honest. Mm-hmm. Now, do you think that Trump may possibly be the president possibly. again. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think number one, what I'm not going to say is that he won't because I was very surprised, you, <laughs> you know, the first time <laughs> around. And so I, I wouldn't put anything past him. You know, I think that yeah. Trump is a very regressive person. And I think that, um, you know, he, a lot of his policies don't benefit the people who it should benefit the working class people and mm-hmm. people of color and black communities. Yeah. But what I can say is Trump is a genius. He is Man, very intelligent, um, believe it or not. And a lot of the, the ways that he has maneuvered his, um, his space as president will win him back the votes that got him in office the first time. Like, I think mm-hmm. that's without a doubt. But I think what it's about is, you know, there were a lot of candidates who voted for Obama and then voted for Trump. And I think that that Mm -hmm. is the pool of people that the Democrats need to be hammering away at to say, Mm -hmm. I understand that you're in a space of, you know, trying to figure out who is on your side. Because I think that's what Trump did. He made people believe that he's on their side and he's advocating for them and he's going to make sure that the middleman, the middle class person, that family is going to have what they need, Mm -hmm. right? Kind of like a little pandering to them. Right. I think we need to come in and say, okay, I understand your fears, And here's how we're going to take care of you and how we're going to make good on our promises. Um, Because for somebody to go from Obama to Trump, that's kind of appalling, right? Why would someone do that? But we need to have more conversations and more consideration for those folks and say, Mm -hmm. not be angry with them, but say, you know, number one, ask why, understand why, and then Mm -hmm. create change that's going to reflect what they're saying to us. Um, exactly. It's not going to be enough to get the Democratic vote. We need to we need to branch into that, that gray area in the middle and, and pull some of those folks into the fold, too. Wow. Girl, you are on top of your politics. I'm loving I it. I, I feel a podcast coming. <laughs> I feel it. Okay, we're going to go all the way in the other direction because okay. I want to know about you hoarding these house plants. Listen, y'all. What is going on with these plants and you hoarding them? <sighs> So yeah, I love plants. Um, my husband will tell you that if if I had it my way, we would have a plant every square foot of our home. It would be like a jungle up in there. Um, I I just think that plants are are such beautiful things. They teach you so much. They teach you discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, they teach you patience. Mm-hmm. They teach you that beauty is at the end of a lot of good growth. Mm-hmm. And I just like to be surrounded with it. And they purify your air, too. You, everybody need a little clean, you know, a little yeah. clean oxygen. But I currently have in my house, I think, five plants. That's where Kenny cut me off at. Uh, I would have more. You say, okay, after five, stop. Yeah, but I think it's a learning experience for me. I think it's, you know, figuring out how to take care of something else and be gentle and be, uh, you know, persistent and consistent. Mm -hmm. And also, too, um, I think that. I hoard them because my house doesn't get a lot of good natural light. So I know that one of y'all are going to die, mm-hmm. um, sadly. Oh and so my. I'm just like, if one of my plants die, I just need to have another one. Because I've had plants to die, and it's been sad. Let me tell you. You cry? One of my, almost, oh my. almost. Do you have names for your plants since So I stopped naming them because they when they die, I get sad. That's mm-hmm. too much of a personal connection, right? So I'm just mm-hmm. like, I'm not even going to name y'all until y'all been around for at least six months to a year. If y'all make it that long, then I'll give y'all a name. But right now I'm learning. So plants are so diverse. There's mm-hmm. so many varieties. They need so many different things, depending on if you're working with a bird, a paradise, or a mm-hmm. fiddle leaf fig tree, or, uh, you know, an aloe vera leaf. Mm-hmm. Then they're going to need different kinds of, you know, water intake and sunlight. Mm-hmm. Or some of them don't need sunlight at all. Mm-hmm. So it's about how do I have all these plants in my space so I'm 
actively learning from them and learning what they need and diversifying my knowledge around plants. Mm. So if they all die off in these first couple of years, because I just started getting plants like last year, mm-hmm. then that's fine. But I would have learned something so that next season I should be able to keep one around a little longer. Girl, than, you know, I'm going to have to stay updated on uh-huh. your uh, green thumb action at your home. I'm trying to make it green, y'all. y'all if y'all got advice for me, hit me in the DMs. And Please you know, hit because, her, honey, because I, I don't want it to be no plant <laughs> funeral over there at the world. But they have been living, the ones that I have have been living for a little while now. So I think mm-hmm. I think we're going to be all right. Just check right. back with me in two weeks. I'm checking back <laughs> with you, girl. Now, I know that you are a former hippie and that yes. you are definitely into self-care. Tell me about this world of Jasmine. Yeah, so, I mean, back in college, baby, I, you would catch me with some bell bottoms on and, you know, uh, afro. And, like, I was just I was just real free. And I still am. Of uh-huh. course, I just have to throw a blazer on top okay. <laughs> at this point. But I think for me, it just was about freedom of expression and freedom mm-hmm. to, you know, go in the way in which you feel and, mm-hmm. and, and do things that were, you know, passion-driven and that made you feel good. And I still feel those things. And mm-hmm. so... Whether that be, I used to go to a whole lot of like um, hip hop, uh, like underground hip hop mm-hmm. shows and art shows and surround myself with people who were just all about letting loose and accepting people for who, who they were mm-hmm. and um, just drawing outside of the lines. And mm-hmm. I appreciate that. I feel like as we get older, um, our, our, our lives get a little bit more uh, structured and there are more more boundaries and how do we continue to hold ourselves accountable to you know being ourselves and tapping mm-hmm. into who we are and really seeking out the true value in other people mm-hmm. to say I see you for who you are and and, and I respect it and I accept it and mm-hmm. vice versa how do we look into ourselves and say that same thing I think it's up to all of us to be free and find our freedom so mm-hmm. I mean, back in the day, I just, I just, I did whatever I wanted to do whenever I felt like doing it. Yes. And to me, that was, that was, that was freedom to me. And now I'm a little bit more tied down. I mean, you know, you can't, you can't make rash decisions when you have career and, and, and husband. And a whole like husband that, over you know? here. Yeah. But, you know, you, you might catch me outside in the backyard, Indian style, you know, uh, in the summertime, because that's what I need. You know, mm-hmm. I need to tap into myself and my space and, and, and create a sense of, uh, like a, a freedom bubble around me where I feel like I'm in tune and that mm-hmm. I'm on track and then my chakras are aligned and that I'm right. that I'm being intuitive. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So you're big on energy. I'm real big on energy. I'm real big on energy. So do you think that helps you excel in your role as a trainer and in the Shelby County School Absolutely. System because of that energy alignment? Absolutely. I think a part of energy is having emotional intelligence too. So, mm-hmm. you know, when I when I when I approach someone, a part of me feeling them is me sensing them. It's me paying mm-hmm. attention to their body language and and how I feel like they're feeling. Like taking myself outside of myself to really see them for who they are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I'm in front of a room, when I'm training or when I'm creating relationships with people at Shelby County Schools, I really want to create a, a personal relationship before I do anything else. Mm-hmm. Because I want to let you know that I am a genuine spirit, that I have mm-hmm. good intentions, and that I mean well for you. And mm-hmm. that, you know... One of the one of my biggest priorities are my relationships, my friendships, my relationships with family, my relationship with my husband, and with, with everyone that I meet, I want to impress upon you first that I'm a good person, mm-hmm. and that you know I come with the best energy, and I'm seeking that out from you. Mm-hmm. And when I approach people who don't got good energy, I'm turning to the left or the right, baby. Okay. I'm trying to keep straight because <laughs> that also can be a pollutant to me. Like mm-hmm. I don't I don't need to absorb that. I've been in spaces where I woke up, I was feeling real good. I had a conversation with somebody, and I'm like, now I'm thrown off. So mm-hmm. I have to be careful about who I let into my space because mm-hmm. I have to protect my own energy mm-hmm. because what will happen is that energy will latch onto me like a leech. And then all day I'm feeling, I'm feeling off balance. Mm. So everything to me is about keeping a balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're someone with a good energy, then we can feed off of each other. Like me and you right now, mm-hmm. I feel great. Yeah. You know what I mean? I do too. You know, but, and, and that's allowing me to open up and be vocal mm-hmm. and express. But if it was another way around, you know, I don't know if you might want to put this podcast <laughs> on the radio because I would be real mute. Cause I'm like, I can't give you none of me, mm-hmm. you know? So I think it's just about having that third eye and just having a sense of, mm-hmm. okay, 
I'm giving, I'm receiving, I'm I'm being reciprocal. Yeah, tap into that third eye. Y'all better Google third eye if y'all don't know what the third eye is. Okay, Jasmine, let's jump into a little bitty, bitty bit of current events. I know you have heard about this coronavirus. Ooh, honey. I know you've heard about it. Let me just give you a little update. Japan has shut down all of their schools so far. Your vice president, Pence, is now leading the Trump administration's coronavirus response oh effort. And lastly, did you hear about the Northern California woman who has contacted the coronavirus without traveling to any of these Hold regions? On, man, I didn't hear that. You better give me breaking news. North Carol, North Carol, Northern California, she has the coronavirus. She hasn't traveled to any of the regions hit by the outbreak mm-hmm. or coming into contact with anyone known to have the con- uh, the infection. So what What's the she hell? Doing over there? She got it. <laughs> what she doing? She got it in Northern Cali. Mm-hmm. Well, let me tell you. I, I, I yesterday <laughs> I called Kenny on the phone. I was like, look, uh, <laughs> if Corona come over here, what we gonna do? But I you think really got to think about you that. You really though. do because I mean the way that that virus is spreading. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it. I read an article from the New York Times that says it's not a matter of if it will come to the it's United when. States it, or it's when mm-hmm. and how are we gonna be prepared for that which leads me to the detail that you just gave me that pence is leading this effort like how did that happen like you ain't got no uh (laughs) experience you ain't never administer no food shot at the walgreens nothing what you ain't got none of that so i just i i just would hope (sighs) that somebody is in that corner with a well-informed team that's saying look you might be the figurehead for this, but let us make all decisions because we the experts. Please. Because, you know, announced we are yesterday. in such close confines. You know, mm-hmm. we we interact with people in the Kroger, at work, right Everywhere. now. And you could have the corona and I'm getting it. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So we have to be, we have to be cognizant of how close we all mm-hmm. are in the same space. And I, I mean, I know that they had mentioned that, you know, the contract, the, the rate that people were contracting the virus was really high, and this mm-hmm. kind of slowed down a little bit, but that mm-hmm. could spike again. Yeah. And, you know, we have people in the states outside of the woman in California who already have the virus. They're Girl. being contained, but they have the virus. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, to me, this is just some. I know, that we, I know that every couple of years we have our big uh, epidemic, but mm-hmm. I don't like this stuff. I don't it's, either, because they still talking about you it heavily. They make, like, they make movies after things like this. Right, so that's I'm what just my son like, said. Mom, this reminds me of a movie. This reminds me of a movie, but I'm just like, look, how can I wash my hands at all times and yeah. and, and make sure this health insurance is good and geared up? You, you got a mask? You got a mask? I got something at the house. Okay. Yes, I do. You got your mask. And, and listen, you I may would. need it. I'm sorry, Chevy County Schools, but if I got the call, out because corona i got to call out <laughs> okay do you hear <laughs> her should be kind of schools but, oh wow but no, man i think oh it's, it's real scary i just think yeah. about the people over um over in china who yes. their whole lives have been halted mm-hmm. because they can't go to work their kids can't go to school or they may have family members who are sick it's hard for them to get food all of that it's Bad. a real crisis over there and i would hate to see that you know be the case here in the state so i would hope that our elected officials are yeah. doing everything that they can do to protect us i hope so because you know china manufacture so much let me tell you my stocks have dropped i know that and and, and it's affecting the stock market Mm -hmm. i mean everything that we import here is coming out of china now watch when some of those major things that you need and want stop coming listen listen. that's when it's gonna really hit even if corona doesn't hit american well it has hit american soil but even if it doesn't you know just spread drastically across american soil we are going to be impacted economically Mm -hmm. our goods and our products and our shipments are going to be impacted so even if we you know along with the conversations that we're having around how are we protecting our people so that you know people aren't contracting this at a high rate how are we protecting our economy what are we doing mm-hmm. to extend help to china to, to, to what keep? are we doing i, I haven't heard nothing about that now that you know. mentioned it we need to be trying to help them people because um you know what's we, up with trump and um and uh who over there in china is that uh kim jones that kim jones <laughs> oh no uh, i know they yeah, correct, correct us if we wrong Look. if that's not kim jones <laughs> you know they they 
They kind of like a, uh, that was like Disney Meek Mill and Drake I for know, a little while. but now they booty, booty <laughs> butters, girl. I don't know, no, honey. I just hope the best for them and they can figure out what's going on with that corona because I... Please ooh, find honey. out, y'all. Mm-hmm, I'm wow. Jasmine Walls, I have absolutely loved you this short matter of time. I have had you sitting in front of me. You are definitely... Thank you so on much. ...on the Gina. move. I see so many great things going on with you, lady. Now, Thank I want you, you to give everyone... Your socials mm-hmm. and how they can keep up with Jasmine Wall. Let me look these. Up. Uh, <laughs> Wait a minute, y'all! Uh-huh. I was following her on uh, Instagram. I think her husband posted it. You jumped off the house roof. What you was Yo, doing? Look. I said, "What she doing?" Let me tell y'all how about it's gonna be tell real us, quick. Please. It's gonna be real quick. Okay, so we like to keep our house real tidy. You know, we came from the hood, so when we get some, we like to keep it nice. And it was some sticks up there on the house. I said, "Well, I'll get up there because I'm small and I'll." break all the sticks off but after I got up there and I looked down it was time to get down I said uh-uh so my foot couldn't catch the ladder um so he was oh, like you just no. want to jump and I'm like I've never jumped off a house and he wanted to tell me about how as a kid they always jumped out mm-hmm. it was a strange sport for them I'm like I've never done that <laughs> um I'm afraid I've never broken a bone I don't want to do this but he was like jump I'm gonna catch you that man this was man, filming you he filmed me mm-hmm. he's only set my phone up real quick I'm like you know what okay you gonna make me go viral he, I counted to three. I jumped in a. Why you my babe. both feet? I, 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 I could have just jumped off by myself. He didn't catch nothing. He didn't, he didn't catch, catch anything. He, sure did. <laughs> he didn't catch anything. But okay. you made it. I don't you don't have no broken bones. I don't praise God. But I'm not. He gonna get up there next time because you know that was that was fearful, very frightening for me. But um, you all can you all can get in touch <laughs> with me. <laughs> um, my Instagram is Jasmine Worlds and my Facebook is Jasmine Worlds as well. So. If you'd like to get in touch with Jasmine Worlds, please contact me, slide in the DMs, and tell me your mm-hmm. thoughts. Um, I am a very friendly, uh, loving person, sometimes to my demise, so don't take Aww. advantage. But, you know, um, I'm, I'm more than happy to interact with the folks. But I, I really appreciate you, Ina, for having me. This Thank has you been for awesome. Coming. And yes. I love to come into Ina's den more yes, often. Yes, <laughs> come through. And all of my verbally effective listeners, if you are thinking about getting into politics, you have any questions, make sure you hit up Jasmine Walls. I'm sure Absolutely. she can read your energy Absolutely. and uh, wiggle that chakra and get yes. it going. Yes. <laughs> I can get them chakras aligned. Oh, yes. wow. Jasmine Walls, my guest for Verbally Effective Podcast, episode 109.